Invisibilia is back for a new season with new stories about small personal battles. I'm a different person now. You're fake. And huge cultural issues. This is probably going to get somebody killed. So tune in for Invisibilia Season 4. Hey, Jonathan. Hi, Afira. So today we have a quiz about the Nickelodeon show Double Dare. Mm -hmm. So millennial game show nostalgia speed round. What show challenged kids to assemble a statue in the Shrine of the Silver Monkey? Uh, That was Legends of the Hidden Temple. Yes. Mm -hmm. What was the kids' version of Jeopardy called? They called it Jep. Unfortunately, Yeah. yeah. Right. What show challenged a high schooler to do a dangerous science project for a cash prize? Oh, that was Breaking Bad. (laughs) From NPR and WNYC, coming to you from the Bell House in beautiful Brooklyn, New York, it's NPR's hour of puzzles, word games, and trivia. Ask me another. I'm Jonathan Colton. Now here's your host, Ophira Eisenberg. Thank you, Jonathan. We have a great show for you. Four brilliant contestants are here to play our nerdy games. They're backstage comparing homerooms, but only one will be our big winner. And our guests are two talented actors and directors, Amy Simons and Melissa Joan Hart. You know Melissa from the teen series Sabrina the Teenage Witch. So on that show, she could magically conjure up an outfit, any outfit that she wanted. And guess what? As a teenager, I actually had that ability too. It's called shoplifting. (laughs) But like Sabrina in episode 35, I also had my power stripped from me. Thanks a lot, security guards at Contempo Casuals. (laughs) Our first game is about tongue twisters. We'll find out if our contestants know why Fuzzy Wuzzy has no hair. So let's meet them. First up, Susanna Page Katz on buzzer number one. You bust people who commit internet fraud. That's right. Welcome. Your opponent is Ayelette Brin on buzzer number two. You're getting your PhD in Jewish American history. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Susanna and Ayelet, the first of you who wins two of our games, will go on to our final round. So let's start with a word game called Untwisted Tongue Twisters. We threw a throng of common tongue twisters through a thesaurus. You were going to ring in and guess the original tongue twister. For example, if I said crimson cowhide, flaxen cowhide, you would answer red leather, yellow leather. Here we go. That woman runs a business near the ocean where she peddles a selection of mollusk exoskeletons. I yell it. She sells seashells by the seashore? That is correct, yeah. So that tongue twister is actually based on a real woman. According to Forbes, her name is Mary Anning from Dorset in the UK. And as a child in the early 1800s, she sold fossils to help support her family. All right. <laughs> That's a, less, that's a less fun version of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she went on to be a great uh, paleontologist. Well, no, yeah. well, that's good. Exactly. That ended well. Starting with the seashell thing. That's good. Yeah. A man whose family name represents wind instrument players collected eight quarts of vegetables submerged in brine. I yell it. Peter Piper picked a peck of pipple. Peter Piper... Picked a peck. <laughs> that's, that's all right. You got to keep going. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. That is correct. Smart. These are our tongue twisters. We're, we're, we're allowed to 
have some twisted tongues. When we say <laughs> yeah, that's the whole point of them. Yeah. It makes them fun. That's right. I'm yelling, you're yelling, everyone's yelling to receive a frozen dairy dessert. I yell it. I scream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. Yeah, that's right. That's the slogan for my family without the ice cream part. (laughs) (laughs) What is the quantity of tree material that a groundhog might throw on the condition that a groundhog is indeed capable of throwing said (laughs) tree material? I yell it. Uh, How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Yeah, you got it. That's right. (laughs) A jury member from the countryside, also a fictional film within the 30 Rock universe. I yell it. The Rural Juror? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I love that the pop culture knowledge needed for the show is not only films, but films that are fictional (laughs) films within other television series. It's a spice often paired with sugar, plus a word that means the same thing as another word. He said cryptically. Should we go to puzzle guru Greg Pliska for a hint? Absolutely. It's a spice that you would pair with sugar on toast, perhaps? Or a... Susanna. Something about cinnamon, but I don't know why. (laughs) Or a word that means the same thing as another word. A cinnamon synonym? Yes! (laughs) Sure. Well done. (laughs) This is your last clue. How do you tell the difference between each of those women on broomsticks casting spells? I yell it. Witch, witch? Give me just a Which, which is which? There, that's good, yeah. (laughs) All right, puzzle guru Greg Pliska, how did our contestants do? I yell it. Well done. You're one step closer to the final round. Next, we'll mainline a concentrated dose of millennial nostalgia in our favorite game, This, That, or The Other. First, let's check in with our contestants. Susanna, so how do you find people who are committing internet fraud? It's pretty easy now that Equifax happened. (laughs) (laughs) Don't have to do a whole lot anymore. So that was a big moment for your company. Yeah, it basically gets me off the hook of anything that happens. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So do you, are you someone with crazy passwords and all kinds of... No. Pr- no, no, no. <laughs> Nothing really keeps you safe, so my advice is don't sweat it. Well, thanks for coming, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I like this new kind of world we're living in of just sort of like, yeah, oh, yeah it's over. Yeah. <laughs> Might as well take your hands off the wheel. This car is going to crash. <laughs> Ayala, you're studying gender in Yiddish newspapers, which sounds pretty fascinating. So tell me about that. Um, well, one thing I study a lot is men writing under female pseudonyms in the Yiddish The press. other way around. Usually yeah. it's women writing under male pseudonyms to yeah. get published or have a voice, but the other way around. Yeah, it was surprisingly common around the turn of the 20th century. And that is because they wanted to appeal to the female reader without actually having to employ a female? Yes, 
Basically. Wow, I figured out that mystery. (laughs) 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 And and when when did this change? Um, when there stopped being Yiddish newspapers, or there were fewer (laughs) of them. (laughs) (laughs) They ran it right into the ground, all the way to the end. There were always women writing, just some of the women were men. Just some of the women were men. (laughs) It's fascinating. Okay. Okay, so you are going to play this, that, or the other. The rules are simple. I'm going to give you a name. You're going to tell me which of three categories it belongs to. And today's categories are frozen Slurpee flavors from 7-Eleven that are discontinued. (laughs) Yankee candle scents. And messy obstacles on the Nickelodeon game show, Double Dare. (laughs) Two things smell great and one thing doesn't. We're going to alternate back and forth. No need to ring in. I let you on the last game so you win this and you're off to the final round. Susanna, you need to win this or you're going to get slimed. (laughs) And depending on what you're into, maybe it's a good thing. (laughs) All right, here we go. Susanna. Sticky icky. Double dare. Double dare. Seems like a good idea, but that is incorrect. Ayelet, can you steal? Gonna go with the slush flavor? Slurpee flavor. Yeah, that is correct. (laughs) Sticky, icky. Ayelet, gumdrop. Mm, Candle? I'm sorry, that is incorrect. Susanna, can you steal? Slurpee flavor. I'm sorry, that is incorrect. <laughs> it's a double dare obstacle where contestants slide down a giant gum dispenser while hundreds of plastic balls yeah. come at them shaped like gum and they have to get a flag. Costs five cents. It's a whole thing. <laughs> Susanna, Stormwatch. That's a Yankee candle. Stormwatch is a Yankee Ooh. candle. <laughs> How did you know that? Do you own this candle? I just felt right. It just felt right? <laughs> yeah. Ayelet, soda jerk. Mm, double dare? Double dare obstacle is correct, yeah. <laughs> Susanna, Sunday slide. Double dare. Double dare, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was exactly... <laughs> Players went down a slide that ended in a kiddie pool full of simulated ice cream, which is probably the most disgusting version of ice cream. Just a simulation of ice cream. <laughs> don't touch it! Don't no, touch don't it! Put, don't get it in your mouth! Ayelet, <laughs> moonshine. Slurpee flavor? <laughs> yeah, it's a Slurpee flavor! Really? Yes. A non-alcoholic Slurpee flavor called Moonshine. Don't know what it tasted like. Kind of like corn. Corn. (laughs) corn. (laughs) Tasted like corn liquor. Susanna, gully washer. (laughs) Double dare. (laughs) You would think so, but (laughs) in this case, incorrect. I'm sorry. Ayelet, can you steal gully washer? Uh, Flavor? Another disgusting early Slurpee flavor is correct. <laughs> okay, Ayelet, 
luau party. That sounds like a candle. Yeah, that's a Yankee <laughs> candle. Yeah. All right, Puzzle Guru Greg Pliska, how did our contestants do? Congratulations, Ayelet. You have won two games, and you're going on to the final round at the end of the show. Coming up, we'll find out who will face off against Ayelet in our final round, and we'll play a word game about corporate slogans that will melt in your mouth, not in your hands. Plus, we'll talk to Melissa Joan Hart, who appeared on television as Clarissa and Sabrina, so she's the last likable teenager on TV. I'm Ophira Eisenberg, and this is Ask Me Another from NPR. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message comes from ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than posting your job online and waiting for the right people to see it. ZipRecruiter can help. Their technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. Try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com another. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from AT&T on behalf of Audience Network and their new original series, Condor. Based on the cult classic film, Three Days of the Condor, this modern-day spy thriller stars Max Irons, William Hurt, and Mira Sorvino. Condor premieres Wednesday, June 6th at 10 p.m. on Audience. Watch it on DirecTV Channel 239 and streaming on DirecTV Now. This is Ask Me Another, NPR's hour of puzzles, word games, and trivia. I'm Jonathan Colton, here with puzzle guru Greg Pliska. Now here's your host, Ophira Eisenberg. Thank you, Jonathan. It's time to welcome our special guest. She starred in Clarissa Explains It All and Sabrina the Teenage Witch. She's also a director, and her new project is the lifetime film The Watcher in the Woods. Please welcome Melissa Joan Hart. Welcome to Ask Me Another. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So many of our listeners, of course, have fond memories of watching you on the sitcom Sabrina, the Teenage <laughs> Witch. Uh, and I know... Thank you. I know you've been asked all kinds of questions about Sabrina, her storyline, her love interest, her magical powers all throughout the years. But how many times were you asked... Does Salem the cat really, really talk? Really talk. Oh, my gosh. So much so that my sister started saying I should carry around a black sock in my back pocket so I could take it out, put my hand in it, and be like, oh, look, he's right here. And, like, freak <laughs> people out and make them leave me alone. <laughs> That's amazing that they actually thought that was possible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how many cats were there on set, just so? There were, gosh, around 10, 15. Um, I mean, we had animatronics, we had stuffed ones, and then we had... The live ones. But the thing is, like, cats are really difficult to train. Yeah. So, you know, if you've ever tried herding cats, um, you, you know, you have to put food all over the set and try to get them. And once they're full, they don't care. They're not doing any. It's not like dogs where they want to make you happy. They're like, I am full. I do not need to be doing this anymore. I am going to go curl up in a corner and purr. 
<laughs> so you had to keep like a long line of hungry cats. We had a lot of cats, <laughs> yes. But we also had like ones that had different talents. So you'd have like the older cat that you would like hold that was like the one that wouldn't attack you. <laughs> then you had like the kittens that would like literally attack stuff. Like if you needed them to attack a ball of yarn or, you know, Salem was getting a little frisky, you'd like have that, you know, it'd be like more of a kitten. And then you had the one that would sit still, the one that like really didn't like to move too much. Right. <laughs> you know? So you had lots of different um, personalities. <laughs> So obviously Sabrina was a pretty family-friendly show, but the CW recently announced that there's plans for a reboot. A reboot, which everybody's been asking me about for years now. Of course. And uh, I had no answer because I don't own the property anymore. It sounds to me like it's going to be a little bit more like Buffy than it is like Sabrina. Yeah, it's called The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Like, are you going to have to defend the... Nope, I'm just going to step back and let them have some fun. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) good. Nothing to do with it. Very good. But Sabrina the Teenage Witch is also, not only obviously that was a huge uh, fun acting role for you, but it it started your interest to be practically directing. Yeah, um, on Sabrina it was a really difficult show. It was one of the first like hybrid shows where it was... It was film, and it was shot like a single camera. However, we had three film cameras on set at all times, even though we didn't have an audience. So it was this weird hybrid between a true sitcom and a uh, single-camera show. Hmm. And it was very difficult for even really experienced directors to step in and figure out what we were doing. So just out of convenience, after, like, season two or three, we were finally all on set, like, we're just going to take over the reins. Instead of people coming in and going, now, how do I do this? How do I?" And explaining it to them and having it take hours... Me and a, another actress and DP and one of the producers were like, let's just do this ourselves. So we started just directing ourselves. <laughs> I mean, so you are directing yourself. I was directing myself until Watcher in the Woods, the movie I just finished last year. I had always directed myself, which is very difficult to do because, you know, you have to be in hair and makeup. You have to learn your lines. You have to do your shot list. You have to, you know, you're answering every question from the crew about like, what should the duffel bag look like? What color should it be? How long should the strap be? Should it have wheels? Should it be heavy? Should we put it with, you know, you're answering all these little questions that all lead to the bigger story plus you're also trying to be a part of the story right so it's it's complicated would you have a scene with uh, one of your cast members and stop mid-scene and go you know I really think that you should change your motivation (laughs) no no luckily you know I'm actually you know they'd say that there's there's different kinds of directors and I consider myself an actor's director which is more like trust the actors to do their thing but guide them as far as the story goes so Mm -hmm. as long as you're still telling the same story part of the job is the casting. So if you hire the right people, they should be able to do the job with my, with very little direction, you know? So I, that's that's my feeling anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think some people think differently. But that's how I feel. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> right. No, that makes perfect sense. Like, uh, you already got the job. So you got the job. Do, do your it. thing. Like, so Angelica Houston stars in Watcher in the Woods. I'm not going to direct Angelica Houston. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> like, what? So, you know, you let her be Angelica Houston. But if there's a story, you know, if there's a story points where it'd be like, oh, no, we have to do it this way because we need you to get here. And, you know, it's that reminder of where the story's going as opposed to like, hey, can you, uh, you know, I mean, with her, you know, she turns on the tears. She knows when to be spooky. She, you know, like all that. You, there's no directing necessary with her. Right. You're not going to take her inside and be outside and be like, I feel like you're ambivalent. Listen, what is your backstory here? I just am not getting it. You know, I'm not going to not going to say that. So let's talk about this uh, suspense movie that you are directing uh, and that is about to come out. It's from the 1980s. This is yeah, a 1981, I believe, was the original with Betty Davis. Yes. Um, it's a lot of people think uh, it's their first entry into the horror genre or whatever. So, And so I always wanted to play the teenage girl. So my mom, when we were doing Sabrina, my mom's my producing partner. Heartbreak Films is our company. And she was always looking for projects for me to do. So 17 years ago, she started the search for the rights. And she couldn't get the rights. Disney 
had them locked up literally like in a file cabinet in Simi Valley or something like that. So finally someone said, okay, I'll send someone out there to find the rights. They got us the rights. And now here we are 17 years later, but I was too old to play the teenage role, too young to play the older witch part. And um, I decided to take on the role of director. That's fantastic. And and so just what the story is, if you don't know, it's about an American family who moves into a house next to a forest Always a problem, Always by the way. Problem. Yes. So you know uh, I'd be isolated in the woods of England. <laughs> That's right. And the forest is haunted by a supernatural presence yes. of some sort. Yes. So you watched this a lot as a kid? I did. My family and I watched it over and over and over again, so much so that I didn't watch it again before I directed the movie. We had um, a wonderful writer, Scott Abbott, write this reimagining of it. And we decided the one thing that was confusing about the first one was there was a sci-fi element. Actually, with the original movie, they had to pull it out of the theaters two weeks after they released it because the audiences were not liking the ending and they redid the ending, I think, three times. And so uh, with ours, we just decided to drop the sci-fi element because it was a little confusing and we just made it a true growth story, which was cool. But then when I was doing the movie, I didn't watch the, I, I went through all the prep, you know, we wrote the script and everything was done and I was getting ready to film and like two days before we filmed, I sat down with my then 10 year old and said, let's watch this movie together. And I watched what his reaction was and what things made him scared. And, and, um, and the thing that's scariest about the original that my son pointed out to me again, which I remembered and we, we used very carefully, the thing about the original was it had this like these steady cam moments where the camera is its own character. You know, whatever it is haunting the woods, you see through its eyes. And so we kept the steady cam. Like you'll see the camera movements are very much, they're very static and they're very deliberate unless it's the watcher. When it's the watcher, it's a drone or it's the it's the steady cam, which I think, you know, people like, you know, in Jaws, like Spielberg did so well, you know, when you're the when you're the shark, you know, they use that device. And I wasn't sure that it would hold up anymore because that's a device that's been used a lot since then. Back then it wasn't used a lot. Right. Like watching it back with my son, he's like, "Who who are we? What, what what are we supposed to be? What are we why are we watching? What are we going to do to them?" And that freaked him out so much that I was like, "This still works. This still works. We're staying with this." And luckily I'd already planned it that way, so that's what we did. <laughs> That's hilarious. I like that your your son is freaking out and you're taking notes. Very good. I'm like, okay, yes. okay. Check, check, check. So, by the way, this is your, not your first time on a game show. No, I always lose game shows, though. <laughs> well, actually, wait. I just won Family Feud last year, so I have to say, that yeah, was a huge yeah, moment won, for me. You were a fan of Family Feud yes, growing up. loved it. Sure. Yes. And then you got to appear on Celebrity Family Feud, yeah. hosted by Steve Harvey. I only get to appear on the celebrity ones. I don't get to appear on other ones. Well, that's okay. <laughs> it's because you're a celebrity. Um, so do you have any memories of like your key moments of uh, victory? Well, there was this weird moment at the end of, uh, at the, end of the episode um, th- when there was a question about what would someone be holding on the side of the street that you wouldn't let a hitchhiker in your car if they had this or something like that. Okay. And my sister or my brother-in-law said something about a stick with a bag on it. You know, like, so like, and they were like, okay, we're going with stick. And that was up there, which was weird. And then I said something, but I, I was leaving whatever the obvious answer was for my sister next. So I took something else. And then she said something about, well, an, an arm or a body part and a severed limb. And it was up there, severed limb. And we won. <laughs> Based on, it was like the most, it was, if you watch our reactions at the end, it's the funniest thing because we were like, what? Well, what? That worked? So that was funny. Well, I'm glad you won. That was a... I know, that was really exciting, but I lost all the others. Double Dare and all those games I played when I was a kid. Nick Arcade and Jeopardy. <laughs> well, are you ready to play an I'm Ask ready. Me Another Challenge? Yes. All right. <laughs> 
So before we get to your challenge, I understand that you are a huge fan of Shirley Temple. I am. I have been since I was a little girl. I was at like a farmer's market. My grandma saw a pin and she made me watch all the movies. I collected, I used to do the payments for the Danbury Mint porcelain dolls. Yeah. So like I'd pay like $10 a month. I was obsessed with her biography or autobiography. I got the opportunity to meet her and I made her movie. She allowed right, me you, and my family to make her movie. Right. You made a uh, television movie based on, on her autobiography. Yep, called Child Star. Yeah. We have written a quiz for you called Shirley Temple University. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. If you do well enough, Steph McGillivary from Enfield, Connecticut will win an Ask Me Another Rubik's Cube. Okay. Oh, great. Okay. So here we go. Shirley Temple is known for her adorable songs. What movie is this song from? On the gold ship. Bright Eyes. I have multiple choice, but I did not need them. Bright Eyes is correct. (laughs) I have have the sheet music signed by her. You do? Is that crazy? (laughs) Okay. So at age seven... Shirley Temple put her handprints in cement outside the famous Chinese theater in Hollywood. Later, she said that she took off her shoes and put her feet in the cement to distract people from her face. Mm -hmm. Why? Because she had just lost a tooth. That is correct! (laughs) (laughs) At age seven, Shirley Temple starred in the 1935 film The Little Colonel with Bill Bojangles Robinson. Mm -hmm. How was that movie groundbreaking? Because it was the first time a black person and a white person held hands. That's right. Yeah, it was, and danced. And danced. Yeah. But she insisted they weren't supposed to hold hands, and she insisted that we put a big thing in the movie about that because it was a big moment, and uh, how she grabbed his hand, and he was uncomfortable with it at first because it had never happened before, like, in a movie. So it wasn't supposed to happen, and she did it. Yeah. They were friends. They were good friends. They were friends. (laughs) All right, how about this? Later in life, Shirley Temple became heavily involved with politics. Uh, In fact, President Gerald Ford and George H.W. Bush both appointed her as an ambassador. Can you name the countries she was U.S. ambassador to? At the time, Czechoslovakia, and I believe she's still the only female, and Ghana. Yes! (laughs) Wowzers. That's right. Well, well done. Ghana from 1974 to 76, Czechoslovakia from 1989 to 1992, uh, I think you uh, kind of killed. Did in I that answer game. it? All? Yeah, you did yes! amazing. You did fantastic. Puzzle Guru Greg Pliska, how did our special guest do? Well, Melissa, you've proven you're a Shirley Temple expert, and you and listener Steph McGillivary will each get an Ask Me Another Rubik's Cube. Yay! So I've got this and Family Feud under my belt now. Two wins for Melissa Joan Hart and The Watcher in the Woods premieres on October 21st on Lifetime. Let's hear it one more time for Melissa Joan Hart. Thank you. Thank you. Want our next special guest to play for you? Follow Ask Me Another on Facebook and Twitter. Our next two contestants will show off their smarts in a word game about corporate slogans. Maybe they're born with it. Maybe it's years of social alienation. Let's meet them. First up, Heather Strickland on buzzer number one. You're a young adult fiction writer. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Your opponent is John Delamar Cantor on buzzer number two. You're a special education high school English teacher using podcasts and graphic novels to trick kids into thinking learning is cool. Oh, yeah. Welcome. (laughs) Thank you. 
Remember, Heather and John win two of our games, and you go off to the final round. Let's go to your first game. Heather, what's a jingle that you always remember? Uh, I always get the Kit Kat bar, so like, give me a break, give me a break, break me off a piece of that. See, that's, that's good. No, head. that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, do you like that candy bar? Uh, I do. It's not my favorite. Take five is my favorite. But Oh, yeah. yeah. I know, and that is also kind of a gimme a break uh, it is. slogan. Yeah. You're really into yeah. breaks. <laughs> five minutes. John, what's a jingle you always remember? My husband and I always disagree on this. The Daisy Sour Cream jingle. It's do, do a dollop of Daisy. He is convinced it's what would you do for a dollop of Daisy? Which is actually Klondike. But. Yeah, right. What would you do for Klondike bar? That's fine. What would I do for some sour cream? Not very much. <laughs> it's like $1.79. I can buy my own. Your first challenge is a word game. So in this game, we took famous corporate slogans and changed one letter in them to reflect a new demographic the brand is going after. For example, if I said, highway maintenance workers will hit the road for Whoppers and Fries, once they hear this updated Burger King slogan, you would answer, pave it your way. Changing one letter in Burger King's slogan, have it your way. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Subway sandwiches left the zombie market untapped for too long. So they put a lot of brains into their new marketing campaign. Bring in, just talk through everything you want. John. Eat Fred. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> there are so many things I like about that answer. <laughs> Heather, can you steal? Eat flesh. Eat oh. flesh is what we were going for. <laughs> After a meal of dried grass, propose to your equine fiancé with a wedding ring from K Jewelers' new line of jewelry for horses. I know. What? John. Every kiss begins with hay? Yes, it does. But if you're a commitment phobe, you can reply to that proposal with, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Hoping to entice cows, goats, and sheep, Anheuser-Busch rolled out a beer with this chewy refresh of their classic slogan. John. This cuds for you. Yeah, yeah. I'm Southern. Skittles revamped their catchphrase in an effort to win over collage artists, paper mache enthusiasts, and decoupagers. <laughs> Heather. Paste to the rainbow? Paste to the rainbow, that's right. <laughs> I've always said if you can reach the decoupagers, you're mm-hmm. set for life. That's right. After more than 20 years, California's dairy farmers adjusted their inquisitive slogan with the help of an actress from Black Swan and That 70s Show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe a hint from our puzzle guru. Uh, the dairy slogan uh, could be translated as, do you have this dairy product? Heather. Got Mila? That's right. This is your last clue. Campbell's Soup is going after termites and beavers with this updated pitch. John. Mm-mm, wood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A bonus point just in our hearts for delivery. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Puzzle Guru, Greg Fliska, how did our contestants do? Well, I have to say, Heather and John, you both did an amazing job with a tough game. But John, you edged out a victory. If you listen to the show and say, I'm loving it, then be all that you can be and join us in person. For information on our live shows, including our October show in Orlando, go to amatickets.org because we do trivia right. Coming up, if you like long shawls and showrunners, you're in luck. We've got a game about Fleetwood Mac and another special guest, actor-director Amy Simons. I'm Ophira Eisenberg, and this is Ask Me Another from NPR. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message comes from TD Ameritrade. Did you know there's a simpler approach to investing driven by TD Ameritrade's advanced technology? With Essential Portfolios, pursuing your financial goals is now automated and easier than ever. Learn more by visiting tdameritrade.com slash askmeanother. What's unique about the human experience and what do we all have in common? I'm Guy Raz. Every week on TED Radio Hour, we go on a journey through the big ideas, emotions, and discoveries that fill all of us with wonder. Find it on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. This is NPR's Ask Me Another. I'm Jonathan Colton, here with puzzle guru Greg Pliska. Now here's your host, Ophira Eisenberg. Thank you, Jonathan. Before the break, we met our contestants, Heather and John. Soon, Jonathan Colton will sing about things with Mac in their name. Is Jonathan a Mac or a PC? Turns out, he's a human being, okay? (laughs) With thoughts and some emotions. Thank you, Ephraim. But first, let's check in with our contestants. Heather, why do you write YA novels? Um, Because I think it's really hard for adults to develop a love of reading, but for teenagers, you can kind of trick them into thinking reading is cool, and you can develop a love of reading at that age. Okay, right. So what kind of themes in YA novels are you particularly into? Um, I tend to write uh, novels about teenagers who fall in love, but then it doesn't work out in the end. Um, (laughs) I really... I really like to like suck that hope of love out of teenagers yeah. at an early age. Good. Yeah, disappointment. Get that yeah. in your head. <laughs> I like it. Uh, John, you say you use podcasts and graphic novels to trick uh, kids into learning. So what, what podcast or graphic novel has been particularly helpful? Shakespeare's really tough for them. So we use Shakespearean graphic novels because they like pictures and they think it's really cool to read Shakespeare when they see like Macbeth's head actually cut off. (laughs) (laughs) Why imagine it when you can see it beautifully illustrated? (laughs) So rumor is our next game is about Fleetwood Mac and guess what? The rumor is true. We've got a music parody for you called Mac Daddies. We rewrote Fleetwood Mac songs to make them about people and things with Mac in them. Like Macintosh or Seth MacFarlane. So ring in and tell me the Mac that I'm singing about, and if you're right, you can earn a bonus point by giving me the name of the original Fleetwood Mac song that I'm parodying. John, you won the last game, so you win this, and you are in the final round. Heather, you need to win this, or you have to direct the next Star Wars movie. You'll get paid a lot of money. And you become very famous. I kind of want to lose now, just on purpose. (laughs) Here we go. Eating you isn't the right thing to do. 
Got three buns, sesame seeds, I'm just one Even though I could choose nuggets instead Can't resist, your sauce is special like you Heather Is that a Big Mac? It is a Big Mac, that's right Heather, for a bonus point, can you name the song? Uh, no, I cannot. That was Go Your Own Way. Oh, so I knew I recognized it. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to agree to disagree on that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Here's your next one. Three witches said I would be king. The wife insisted I take a swing. So I murdered King Duncan It's been downhill from there Now the Scottish plays the thing John uh, That would be Macbeth <laughs> That's correct, Macbeth, that's right For a bonus point, can you name the song? Landslide Landslide, that's right Here we go Maltese Falcon had a face for which they homicided. Pulp Fiction had that mysterious case, but who knows what's inside it? It's a movie plot device that propels heroes on their trail. It's a term invented by Hitchcock. It's the Holy Grail. Heather. MacGuffin. MacGuffin, you got it. <laughs> Heather, for a bonus point, can you name the song? No, I already forgot what the song sounded like. Yeah, no, no, I, me too. I, no, me too. I cannot name the song. That was Rhiannon. Oh, yeah. Yep, sure <laughs> You're was. right, it was. Yeah. <laughs> Agent Cooper's back right now, and though 25 years have gone by, I can still hear him saying, Damn fine coffee, cherry pie. John. Kyle McLaughlin. Kyle McLaughlin is correct. Can you name the original Fleetwood Mac song? The Chain. The Chain. Yeah. Okay, this is your last clue. I knew you'd bring a souvenir for me from Hawaii. Maybe a snow globe with tiki huts It could have been a hula skirt or a ukulele But it's just this dumb can of nuts <laughs> Heather <laughs> It's macadamia nuts. It is macadamia, that's right for a bonus point, can you name the Fleetwood Mac song I was singing? No, apparently I really don't know Fleetwood Mac. You should I check cannot. them out. They're a great band. That yeah. was You Make Loving Fun. <laughs> Greg Pliska, how did our contestants do? Well, it was another close match, but John, you have won, and you will be going on to our final round. While Ayala and John get ready for the final round, it's time to welcome our next special guest. She's the co-creator and co-director of the star series The Girlfriend Experience, and as an actor has appeared in Stranger Things, Alien Covenant, and The Killing. Please welcome Amy Simitz. 
Hey, Amy, welcome to Ask Me Another. Thank you. You are a multi-multi-hyphenate in the sense that you are a huge part of the indie filmmaking scene, but you got into acting, I read, to make you a better director? Um, I mean, I started as a writer, a director, and I went to NYU, started making movies, and ended up in my movies because I was too insecure to tell my actors what I wanted them to do because it was very weird. And so then I just put myself in them. And then, um, and then other people asked me to be in movies. And that w- seemed to work out okay, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, like many actors, of course, you appeared <laughs> on Law & Order SVU, Hell right? Yeah, I yeah. did. <laughs> that is like every, every actor has to have that it on their so resume. It was fun. It was fun? Yeah. Oh, did it I change mean, your life? I mean, the first two days, I didn't like it. Because, like, they told me I was, like, playing Jodi Arias. And so I was like, I have a bunch of ideas of how I'm going to play Jodi Arias. This is very dark, and I go dark real quick. Um, so uh, so she, she got brought into this interrogation, and she kind of talked like a child. And I was like, I'm going to go on Law & Order, and I'm going to talk like this little girl that murders her boyfriend. And they didn't like that at all. <laughs> um, so... I showed up the first two days and I kept being like, this is how I'm going to talk now. And then they were like, no, this is law and order. And we have like a thing that we do. We're like the most successful show on television. Just do what we want you to do. And then as soon as I was like, I can just like coast and do what they want me to do. It became really fun. But so wait a second. So you're saying that as soon as you agreed to take direction... Correct. It, it all fell Wait, but I have a good takeaway. Okay. So I have to describe all these like terrible things that happened to me. Um, and the best part was that Ice-T was in the courtroom. And after one take, he said, uh, man, that girl's freaky diggy. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't know that was a like a bucket list <laughs> checkpoint. Yeah, right. But I definitely have that moment now. <laughs> Amazing. Yep. So now you write and direct and produce the girlfriend experience on Stars. Uh, this is a show inspired by the Steven Soderbergh film of the same name, and it's about people who work as high-end escorts. So the show has been described as a think piece powder keg. Can you explain to me what that's supposed to mean? No, because I didn't write that yeah. sentence. But. Um, we approach it in this very non-judgmental way, um, in this in this way that doesn't say it's right or wrong to be a sex worker. It just is, and it just exists. And I think that that's why it, this per, this, this person thought of it that. from that mm-hmm. point of view. Right, and also approaching women as people that make their own choices, and whether or not they're choosing to do this profession or not, that they have agency and and you know, whether or not you agree that they are putting themselves in danger or, or not, it's their own decision to do right. this. Uh, and that's the world we're exploring. Right. And, uh, but I also wanted to approach it as a filmmaker as, as just like, just let me be much more like National Geographic and watch people take this thing that is mating, <laughs> uh, essentially, that animals do, and commodify it, you know. Right. Now, this is second season. First season had a storyline. 
This season, abandoning that storyline, you and your co-creator, Lodge Kerrigan, have taken seven episodes each. You're kind of doing your own thing with these episodes, different storylines, different characters, and then they will air in the season, like, alternating. Tell me about this creative <laughs> vision. Like, how, how am I, as the audience, supposed to put the whole thing together? Well, you have two ways. Okay. You can watch his and my storyline linear, mm-hmm. sort of choose your own adventure. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and so you can watch them paired together and see thematically how Lodge takes the subject matter or the definition of the girlfriend experience mm-hmm. and how I take the definition of the girlfriend experience and see these thematic elements, which I think is extremely interesting in auteur-driven television. Yeah. To see a man and a woman have these two storylines. I love the idea of it. It sounds fascinating. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Cool. Yeah. Okay. You're writing a TV show based on a film, so your game is called Based on a Hit Movie. <laughs> 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 I'm going to give you the name of the movie. You just have to tell me, did that movie become a television series or not? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Well, let's try it. Did Casablanca become a TV show? Oh, my God. Um, no. It did. Yeah. It aired on ABC in 1955. How about the movie Juno? Did that become a TV show? No. No, 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 no. Yeah. You can't justify someone getting pregnant every episode. Longest. Or just being pregnant for like Like the whole thing? Eight seasons, yeah. How about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Oh, man, I love that. Did you, did you really? Yeah, who didn't love that? Did that become a television show? Uh, I'm going to say yes. Yes, yeah, yes it did. <laughs> Here is your last clue. Did Pulp Fiction become a television show? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> nah. No. <laughs> no is correct. No is absolutely correct. I just got word from headquarters that you got enough right. Congratulations, Amy. You won. <laughs> Season two of The Girlfriend Experience premieres on Stars on November 5th. Everyone give it up for Amy Simons. Thank you, guys. It's time to crown our big winner. Let's bring back our finalists. Eilat Brin, who studies men who wrote under women's names in Yiddish newspapers. And John Delamar Cantor, whose students think Shakespeare's cool when they can look at illustrations of severed heads. Puzzle guru Greg Fliska, take it away. John, and I yell it. Your final round is called Does Not Compute. Every answer is a word associated with computing. So, for example, if I said stratus, cirrus, and cumulonimbus are all types of this, you'd answer cloud. Now, we're playing this round like a penalty shootout, which means you'll each get up to eight questions, and the contestant who scores the most points will be our big winner. And your prize tonight will be an Ask Me Another Rubik's Cube signed by both Melissa Joan Hart and Amy Seinmetz. We rolled a 20-sided die, and John is going first. All right, here we go. John. The constellation Aries is depicted as this animal. You have three seconds. No, I'm sorry. John, the answer was ram. All right, I yell it. Canned meat product introduced by Hormel in 1937. Spam? 
That is correct. John, a cicada or aphid? Bug. Correct. I yell at Stuart Little is this type of animal. Mouse. Correct. John, at school, a student designated to patrol the halls. Monitor. Correct. I yell at in golf, a long club typically used to hit the ball from the tee. Driver? Drive? Yes, that is correct. John, the British word for what Americans call a French fry. Chip. Correct. I yell at the American word for what the British call a biscuit. Cookie. Correct. All right, now we are at the halfway point, and I yell it is in the lead four to three. John, here's your next clue. In comics and on the CW, Barry Allen's superhero alter ego. Flash. Correct. I yell it. A person who casually looks through books or magazines. Browser. Correct. John, an island of Indonesia, it's the most populous island on Earth. Micro? Indonesia? No, no I'm sorry, that's not <laughs> correct. The answer we're looking for is Java. Ah. Oh. I yell it. Gas company with a red and yellow marine mollusk logo. Shell? That is correct. John, celebrities and contestants give each other clues to secret words in this game show that premiered in 1961. Password. That is correct. I yell it. After killing the Minotaur, Theseus used this object to find his way out of the labyrinth. Uh, compass? No, I'm sorry. The correct answer we're looking for is string. All right, here you go, John. A thick structure designed to prevent the spread of flames. Firewall. That is correct. The score is now tied, and this is the last question. I yell it. If you answer this question correctly, you win. In the Eastern Orthodox Church, it's a traditional work of art, often painted on a small piece of wood. Relic? No. No, I'm sorry. That's not correct. The answer we were looking for there was icon. So we are tied. Um, I have a tiebreaker question. Whoever buzzes in first and answers correctly will win. Here's your clue. An object used to smooth one's fingernails. I yell it. File. That is correct. Congratulations, Ayelet. Well done, John. Congratulations, Ayelet. And that's our show. Ask Me Another's Puzzle Guru is Greg Pliska. Hey, my name anagrams to Sparkle Gig. Our house musician is Jonathan Colton. Thou jolt a cannon. Our puzzles were written by Matt Foster, Andrew Kane, Danielle Thompson, and senior writer Karen Lurie. Our senior supervising producer is Art Chung. Ask Me Another is produced by Mike Katzeff, Travis Larchuk, Julia Melfi, Danny Shin, Ramel Wood, and our intern, Madeline Kaplan, along with Steve Nelson and Anya Grunman. We recorded by Damon Whittemore, Rick Kwan, and David Hurtgen. Ask Me Another was created by Eric Newsom and Jesse Baker. We'd like to thank our home in Brooklyn, New York, The Bell House. Hot Heel Blues. And our production partner, WNYC. I'm Haripe Begonias. Ophira Eisenberg. And this was Ask Me Another from NPR. Hey, happy to hear you're still listening. And since you're still here, why not pop over to Apple Podcasts and write us a review? We love to hear from you, and it helps others find out about our show. For additional information about new episodes, upcoming live shows, road shows, and bonus games, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Thanks. Thanks. 
Next time on Ask Me Another, actor William Jackson Harper from the series The Good Place talks about his character Chidi and what it's like to play an indecisive philosophy professor. Then brush up on your knowledge about famous homes because we challenge our contestants to a music parody game that will bring the house down. Join me, Ophira Eisenberg, on NPR's Hour of Puzzles, Word Games, and Trivia. 